What a blessing this morning. We've had the blessing of hearing you sing, hearing your prayers, to hear you read the word, and to hear your testimony. What a blessing. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. And place your, ver- your finger on verse 26. We'll read in just a moment. Today is part two of our three-part sermon series. Or as I have said, it's probably one sermon broken into just three parts. And so last week in verses 19 through 21, we came, we looked at the exhortation. The exhortation to draw near to God. To hold fast our confession. And to encourage one another. But today, we will now come to probably the most difficult of this sermon series, which is the warning. And know that it is probably the most severe warning in all of Scripture. And so my prayer this morning is, is that as we explore this portion of the text, I pray that God will give us a clear examination of our hearts. And that He will stir us, beloved, to call out to Him. For the very prayer that we just sang, that he will hold us fast. And so if you will this morning, let us begin in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And we'll go down to verse 31. He says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May God bless this morning the preaching of his word. Warnings. This is what this is. There's, there's five warning passages throughout the book of Hebrew. And this is number four. And as I said, the most severe. But we should not be surprised that the Bible has warnings. Because our lives are surrounded by warnings. Warnings are everywhere. And there are probably more warnings in 2020 than than we've had in any other year. So so we've had hurricane warnings and tornado warnings. We've had, you know, you, you every day we have roadside warnings and other things such as electrical shock warnings and computer warnings and food warnings. You can't even go buy something from the store without a choking hazard warning. We we've heard of this year voter fraud warning and even murder hornet warnings. But now probably the most common of all warnings that we have heard has to deal with the issue of COVID and our health. And so if you begin to stop and think with me for just one moment, you and I would realize that every day of our lives, we are living in a world of perpetual and unending risk, unending danger, that there is a warning for everything you do. Why? Because in everything you do, there is a risk, there is a danger there, something could go wrong. 
And so now, because of COVID, there is, this, as, as Brother Gary was saying earlier, we are now being told that the believer needs to be aware of the gathering of the saints within a place such as we are this morning within the church to gather and to worship and to sing. That, that we're given this warning that if you gather and sing, you are in grave danger. And yet, as he said, that the, the apparently, the as I saw in California, the strip clubs are open, but not the church. Tens of thousands are able to protest and bars or everything else is open. And, and even if all those things shut down, you say, well, everything else shuts down. So the church should shut down. Beloved, let me share with you this morning that there is a far greater warning out there than all of these and all the ones that I have not mentioned this morning. Let me be very clear before we move on. That you are not protected from COVID, nor the flu, nor anything else. You are not protected when you gather at the church for any type of risk or danger. A matter of fact, if we want to be very clear about this, that those who gather to worship the Lord are in far more greater risk of physical suffering and death than anything else. That is what the Bible teaches. And so like in everything, there is a, a risk. There are, there, there's a risk in what we are doing. And so therefore, we have taken precautions and we are ready and willing to make adjustments as we have and ready to willing to make more adjustments. And so we have a plan in place. And that plan is about to become more, more specific. I'm working on some things that will be more specific uh, to really kind of help with any kind of possible outbreak. We understand that there is a risk. But, but... The idea that the church is more at risk, that the church is more dangerous than going to buy your groceries at Walmart, more dangerous than going to work or recreation, is a lie from the very mouth of Satan himself. Our greatest danger and risk in this life is not from COVID. Our greatest risk in this world, beloved, our greatest danger for you and me who profess to be Christians, our greatest warning is the warning of becoming an apostate. And that's what this author is talking about. That is, that, is, that is where he goes here. That's where the, the author of Hebrews turns his attention this morning. That the fourth of these five warnings, as I said, the most severe, it deals with the issue of becoming an apostate. The author is warning that the Christian church here about the sin of apostasy. That because of their trials of persecution and their difficulties of, and their fatigue and their exhaustion, they, this author was afraid that this church was about to commit a very grave and horrifying sin. And so out of love, this author writes, this pastor writes to this church out of his love for them and for the glory of God's name. And he sounds the alarm. And so for those very reasons this morning, I sound the alarm. And I would say that every pastor should sound the alarm. And not just because of COVID. Because as you will go through this in just a moment, you will realize that we have been seeing apostates long before COVID. For the temptation to shrink back, which is what this text is about, that you will not shrink back, but you will draw near to the Lord, is very real to us. That if we are not careful, the temptation 
to, to shrink back will actually lead to a far greater sin. The, the temptation to not gather in worship, the temptation to not draw near, the temptation to not hold firm and fast. That which we have believed will, will lead to a far greater sin, which is the habit of forsaking the faith altogether. And so therefore this morning, this pastor sounds the alarm. Beware the sin of apostasy. And so there are four things that I want you to see. I want you to see the, the harshness of this sin. I want you to see first the nature of this sin, the severity of this sin. I want you to see the results of this sin. And then fourthly, I want you to see the response of this, uh, to this sin. And so if you will this morning, let us begin with the nature of the sin. What is apostasy? It is not a good term. It is not a description that you want applied to you. It is defined as a rebellion or the abandonment of the Christian faith. And if you will notice, there is a description there in verse 26. He says, after receiving the knowledge of the, tr- of, of the truth, an apostate is a very special kind of, of unbeliever here. The apostate is someone who knows the gospel, who knows the Bible, who knows the commands of God. They, according to Hebrews chapter 6, he has been enlightened to a certain degree. And so they may even practice these things that they know, and they may have even been practicing them faithfully for many years, involved in church and in ministry for a long time. Yet there comes this moment where they walk away from their faith. They walk away from the church. And so, in other words, they don't finish the race. They don't finish the race. They're not pressing on and crossing the finish line. So let me be very clear on this. The author is not saying that this individual has lost their salvation. That is not what they're saying here. You can go, if you just read all of of Hebrews, you find that the context is not here, does not allow for, for there to be a salvation that is lost because of sins, because the sacrifice of Christ is too great for that. But instead, what we find here is that the person was never saved in the beginning. They, they were false converts. They had a knowledge and they participated within the congregation. They looked like Christians on the outside, but they never, ever were truly transformed. They were very close to being transformed. And beloved, this is what the Bible teaches. This goes, this goes, it goes parallel and, you know, and is in good relation with all the rest of Scripture here. Matthew chapter 13, you get the parable of the soils. And we are told that there are those seeds that are going to fall on some soil. And they're going to sprout up some plants. They're going to look really, really good. But eventually they're going to dry out and die. Because they didn't have a root system. First John chapter 2 verse 19. He tells us that there were those who were of us who went out from us. They never, they, they never came back. We thought they were of us, but they left. Never coming back. Mark chapter 7 verse 21 to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your names, cast out demons in your name, do many, uh, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so we see here within the text, we, we see here Jesus is saying, these people here, I'm a Christian. I've, I went to church. I've done all of these things. And Christ said, I never knew you. You're an apostate. So an apostate is an unbeliever. Not someone who loses their salvation. But understand this, not every unbeliever is an apostate. What do I mean by that? Well, an apostate is a special kind of unbeliever. Because this unbeliever has a knowledge and an understanding of how it all works. They know the gospel. 
They, they've sat under the preaching of the pastor. They've been in the Sunday school class. You could actually say that this is a goat, a goat in sheep's clothing. And eventually they get tired of acting like a sheep. And they throw off the clothing. And they said, I'm just going to go be a goat. My true nature of who I am. And so that, that is why this passage is so hard. That is the very nature of apostasy. And why it is so hard for us to preach this and for us to sound the alarm. Because this warning is not pointed to those who are out there. pointed to us it's not given to the atheist it's not given to the homosexual the murderer the rapist you know those are really bad people those really bad sins the most severe warning that is given to the unbeliever is the unbeliever who plays christianity this warning is for the man and the woman in the pew it is the man and woman who sits beside you this morning or in front of you or behind you. Or the man or woman who used to sit beside you, in front of you or behind you. This warning is given to the one who sings in the choir and who sits in the Sunday school class or even the one who teaches the class. This, this warning is given to the pastor. If you'll notice, this author does not leave himself out of this. This warning is given to the person who prayed for you over when you lost a loved one who cared for you when you were sick. This warning is given to the person who visited you in the hospital. This warning is directed to us, the church, advising you and me that we need to be very, very careful and very vigilant that we do not commit the sin of apostasy. It is an alarm, beloved. It is an alarm. It is a fire alarm that should sound through the sanctuary, who should sound through the halls of our church, that we are to watch out for the very things that would draw us away from this place. And beloved, there are many things that would do that. The Bible has many, but here's a few. Number one, false teachers. First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1, some will fall away from the faith, playing, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Temptation, love of the world, pleasure, sin will draw you away. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, demons having loved this present world has deserted me. Or how about neglect? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, that we are so lazy and apathetic. How, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We just neglect it and we just eventually fall away. Or, or how about fear of persecution, suffering, and death? For Christ said in Matthew 24, 9 and 10, Then they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be aided by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. And then even notice this, they will betray one another or hate one another. Those that fall away will eventually turn against the church. There are many things in this life that will draw us away. Things that create a temptation for an easier life, a safer life. A life with low risk where the church member chooses to stop drawing near to God. Because it is a physical and emotional risk. And I am afraid, beloved, that we are moving into that time. This author, nor myself this morning, calls anyone apostate. You need to know that. He is not looking to these people saying, y'all are apostates. I am not looking to our church and saying we are apostates. He is saying the temptation, the sin is very real though. And we must know that. 
We must sound the alarm that the sin is real and that we should not be so prideful to believe that we ourselves, including the pastor, because we know many of pastors who were once in the pulpit who have now left to never return. That we are not to be so prideful that we are exempt from this sin. And so FBC, please hear me this morning, that this, hear this warning this morning. This is a very real sin with very real consequences. And if we truly love God and love one another, then we need to be aware of the reality of this sin. The dangers of this sin. We need to weigh the risk of this sin. For Jesus said, what does it profit a man who would gain the whole world, but he would lose his soul? FBC, I would call upon you this morning. Examine yourself. Be vigilant with yourself. Be ready. Be alert. For this is a very real sin. This sin is very harsh. Notice the severity of this sin. It is obvious that this sin carries with it greater harshness than others. And if you've ever wondered, are some sins greater than, than, than other sins? Well, though, I think this passage answers the question that, yes, there are sins that are worse than other sins. The Bible is very clear that there are sins that are far. All sin is that comes from the root of unbelief. So they all have that in common. But there are some sins that come with it far greater consequences and bring about far greater judgment. And this is one of those sins. Why? Why is the sin of apostasy so bad? Number one, because it is deliberate sin. In verse 26, he writes, for if we go on sinning willfully, if we go on sinning deliberately, this means the sin is intentional. You are making the choice to commit the sin. You know that you should not shrink back. You know that you are to gather with the faith family and to worship God. You know this, but you shrink back. You have a knowledge of God and what he has done and what it takes to be a believer, to be in faith with him, in relationship with him and with the church and with the with the faith family. The Old Testament calls this a high handed sin in Numbers chapter 15, verse 29. Listen to this. You shall have one law for him who does, who does anything unintentionally, for him who is a native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourn, sojourns with them, among them. But notice this. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord, and he has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on himself. So, so, so there's a high-hand sin here. Here's what you find, is that this sin that we're talking about, apostasy, is not just about the sin itself, but about the attitude of the sin. And we see this in the very next verses there in Numbers 15, verse 32, 30, verse 36, where you have this man who is gathering sticks on the Sabbath. You have this man who, who apparently needed firewood, okay? And so he goes out and he gathers the sticks on the Sabbath day where he's supposed to be resting, and they bring him before the people, and they stone him to death. And I remember reading this, and I remember thinking, oh my God, goodness why would they do that where is the god of grace but what you find here within the context is that this man's sin is so great not for the very act that he was doing but because he had a knowledge of what he was doing and he committed a high hand sin in other words he raised his hands to the lord and said i know that you god say this but but i ain't doing it or he raised his fist to the lord and he said, God, I know your law. 
says this. I ain't doing it. And he is killed immediately. The sin of apostasy carries, beloved, with it no struggle or no fight. The sin of apostasy is the individual who knows the gospel, who knows the commands, and knows the will of the church, who knows that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he throws his hands up in the air and he says, I ain't, I'm just not doing it. And he walks away. The one who fights, the one who struggles, that's a different thing. The one who is tempted to walk away, but doesn't want to, and fights and struggles and weaves and does everything they can. That's different. This individual throws his hands up and says no. FPC, I know that the virus has got some people worried. And I know that the lockdowns have got us worried. And I believe that there are probably things coming along that are going to probably get us more worried. But hear me this morning. We cannot deliberately wave the white flag. You cannot say on the one hand, I know what God says. But those people in office up there say this, or those scientists say this, or those medical people say this. I not, listen, I'm not saying to be careless. I'm not saying not to be cautious. But you cannot, on the one hand, have a knowledge of God, and then on the other hand, have a knowledge here and say, this knowledge is greater than Him, and throw your hands up and deliberately sin against God. You cannot shrink back. We cannot shrink back when we possess. The knowledge of our Savior who laid his life down for us. This sin is presumptuous, but this sin, notice again, that there's this knowledge that, that, that we have, that we possess. What knowledge do you and I possess this morning? But what? God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And this is what Christianity is known for. The temptation is to believe that because of his love, that, he will deli- that we can deliberately sin against him without consequence. It's to, it's to presume upon the will of God that God will show mercy to me and God will overlook my sin because my motives, I've got some really good motives here. Or to assume that our circumstances are so bad and so dangerous that, that, that God, will, God will understand. God's going to understand that the risks are really high and then they will outweigh what God tells us. Deuteronomy 17, 12, 13, but the person who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge, this person shall die. And you shall eliminate the evil from Israel. We cannot be presumptuous, beloved, to believe that God is going to look kindly upon us when we sin deliberately against him. And this is exactly what we want to do. We want to justify our sins, which makes the temptation all the more real. Or how about the ungratefulness of this sin? Look what he says in verse 29. How much severe punishment do you think will, will deserve, will he think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the, of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? This is an ungrateful sin. Why? Because we have a knowledge. We have a knowledge of God. We know the gospel. And we know that God gave his life. That God sent his only son. 
Christ who came and died for our sins, who laid his life down, gave up, he gave into suffering and torment and death, that we who are sinful may come and know him as Savior, that in his death and in his resurrection from the grave, that we are brought into the family of God and we are given an inheritance and a promise beyond anything in this world. We know this knowledge, but when we sin against him deliberately, beloved, it is an ungrateful sin because we have trampled under the foot the Son of God. In other words, this is very strong language describing a person's contempt for someone else. You, you can't stand someone else. So Christ lays down his life for you and you walk over him spurned. Earning the gift of salvation as though what he has done deserves lesser honor than something else. Here's what I think happens. And I think that that, that is the temptation that is going across the country. Out of love for neighbor and love for others. The second greatest commandment. We are spurning the first. To love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. That I will love him and I will worship him and he will be, he will be my number one. I will give up everything in this life. I will give up friends and family. I will give up work. I will give up food. I will give up everything in this life that I may know and worship this God. But we spurn it for other things. That are good things. But they are not the greatest of things. And when we do this, beloved, we are trampling underfoot Christ who gave his life for you and for me. Notice he also says, has regarded as unclean the the blood of the covenant. This means that we count the death of Christ as common. That his death is no greater than anyone else's death. That we find the sacrifice of Christ as having less value than worldly things. Even our own health. And so therefore, this is the reason why we are more convicted and more motivated to go to the funeral of somebody else who has died of COVID or on earth than we are to attend the worship service. It's amazing to me that we can go to funerals and we will and we will mourn the death of people. But we cannot come to Sunday morning and rejoice in the death of Christ who spilt his blood that those who would die would one day rise. Because we count his death as lesser than the other things. I must go to work to to, to, to I must be able to go to work. I've got to make money to sustain my comfort in this life. I've got to put food on the table. I've got to go to the grocery store. But I cannot go to church. Because the church is dangerous. Then you have have regarded unclean the blood of the covenant. As though man was not told that he must not live by bread alone. But by the very words that come from Christ. That we were not told that what does it profit a man that he gained the whole world, but he lose and forfeit his soul. And it would be better for you to cast out your right eye or to cut off your hand, beloved, than to lose your soul, which was purchased by the blood of Christ. And we trample on it. 
Because we believe that God will overlook our sin. Or how about this one has insulted the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit's bestowing of love upon us. This means that you mock and you insult the spirit. You reject the gift of grace because you view it as cheap and as worthless. You love the story of the gospel. You love the story of Christ dying. But there are just some things in this world that are more valuable than that. You value life's blessings as being greater than the blessings of God. They, God's blessings are mockery compared to these other blessings. And so therefore, spending time with friends and family and participating in recreational activities and all these other things are far more valuable than the worship of Christ. Who did not have to save you. And who lays his life down for us. And we want to act as though homosexuality and, and, and transgenderism, we want to act like those are the grave sins out there. And long before COVID, people were walking away from the church. Long before COVID, people were walking away, spurning and trampling under the foot of God because it just wasn't good enough. This is a horrible sin. And not one of us in here today, including myself, is exempt from this sin. There is an ugliness to the sin. That when one shrinks back from the great blessings of Christ, because the comforts and the easiness of this life outweigh that which Christ has given us. It shows that we have no appreciation for our salvation. You say, what are the results of this sin? What are the results of apostasy? It is not good. Notice what he says. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. When the apostate walks away and is unrepentant, there is but one expectation for them. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What does he mean? Does he mean that we've lost our salvation? No. It means he was never saved in the first place because there was never true repentance. The sacrifice only covers a person who is repentant. An apostate is not someone who walks away, repents, and comes back. That's not an apostate. An apostate is one who is unrepentant, who throws their hands up and never comes back. Salvation is not lost. Salvation was never there. The person was a false convert as evidenced by their lack of repentance. Therefore, there is no sacrifice for them. There's nothing to cover them. There is nothing to stop the wrath of God to fall upon them. But, but I did all these things, God. I, went, I did all these good things. I never knew you. There's the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. The apostate is an imposter, an enemy, an adversary of God. You thought you were a friend of God, but you were an apostate, and so there you were an enemy. So therefore, you will feel the very same wrath that the others that we claim to be enemies of God. You will feel that wrath, the fury of hell's fire. You are an enemy. He says, anyone who has ignored the law of Moses is put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You will receive no mercy. Can you just stop one moment and listen to that? You sing in this place, beloved, because you have received mercy. 
That's why you sing. That's why it's so joyful. Because we know that we don't deserve salvation. But we can gather because we know that we've received the mercy. And he tells us you will receive no mercy. Matter of fact, your judgment will be worse than that of the Old Testament. Where two or three witnesses were needed. No witnesses are going to be needed. Why? Because you sinned against God. He is the witness. And he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. This means there will be no escape for you. That, that in this simple world, there are those who will slip by the justice system. But none will slip through the hands of God. How bad is that? He writes. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Why is this judgment so bad? Why are you and I to be so broken? Why are our, our, our bedrooms and our, our, our living room floors not to be consumed with the tears of those that we once worshipped with and are no longer here? Why is it so bad? Because you knew. The atheist, the homosexual, the murderer, the rapist, all those really bad ones... They didn't know, but you knew. Because you went to church and you heard the gospel and you experienced the joy from the saints in worship. You experienced all those things. You knew, and so therefore, beloved, your judgment will be worse. You knew that Christ died. And you knew that you were a sinner and could be saved by trusting in Christ. You knew the gospel was real and that he has commanded us to embrace it and to live. You knew that he himself was calling upon you and loved you. You knew the promises of God. That this world is not our home. And that we will have victory and we will know a better life. You knew the faithfulness of God to hold you. You knew the love of God. And you knew the love of God's people. But you walked away. In spite of that knowledge. Instead of giving up everything and instead of sacrificing it all that you may worship. Oh, Tracy, my heart this morning was blessed. I'd give it all up. I would give it all up. To sing. And to sit with my people, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Sing the wondrous gift that God has given me. Instead of giving up everything, beloved, and trusting our life to God, the apostate raises his hands. And he says, I don't want this life. I will go for the easier and the more comfortable. And the only hope they have is fire. And here's the problem. Again, I call no one an apostate. I sound the alarm of apostasy this morning. But FBC, hear me this morning on this. It is time that the church stop presuming the mercy and grace and the eternal destination on those that have left the church. When everything about them shows that their fruit, that their internal destination is not heaven, but we give them the okay. 
We enable their sin. We enable their apostasy when we do not call them to repentance. There is but one expectation. And it is a scary one. And so therefore, what is our response? What does this mean for you and me? How is it that that this guy, why does he sound this alarm? Why does he throw this out there? Again, he claims that none of them are are apostates, but he warns of them. And so therefore, the, the possibility of it is very real. And I'm afraid, beloved, that you and I are living in a time where we are going to begin to see that this sin is very real. As we begin to notice, as we begin to already are hearing all across our country where 50% of people are not returning to their churches. They're not returning. What does this mean? It means that you and I should embrace this warning. And I'm going to give you a spoiler. You know I love spoilers. I know everybody else hates me that I love spoilers. But let me spoil this for you. Look ahead to verse 37. Look at verse 36. We'll, we'll, We'll start there. He says, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then notice verse 37, he says, For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith. To preserve, to the preserving of the soul. What is the answer here? What is the solution to the warning of apostasy? What is the very thing that keeps you and that keeps me from, from not walking away? Faith. Faith in Christ. He will hold you fast. If you were this morning, if you are saved and you're sitting there thinking and you're going, I'm going to keep myself beloved. No, don't do that. He tells us already. He sees it. And we're going to really flesh this out next week that the answer to the warning, the, the, the answer to be vigilant, the answer to endure to the end, beloved, is that you and I would have faith in Christ. Not only faith that he would save me, but faith that he would keep me, that he would hold me fast. So, so, so here we see that he will tell us to, to recall the glory of the gospel of Christ. How Christ saved you from your sin and gave you life and is sanctifying you and is working in you and he's holding you. The sin of apostasy started when? How did the verse begin? For if we go on sinning willfully. So therefore, what, what does that mean? It means the opposite for us. That our faith in him should call us to repentance. That if we are struggling and if we are walking away or if those that we love are walking away, what is the answer to them? But that we would call them to faith and repentance in Christ and to come back to him and to love him with all that they have and that we would walk with them through this. Call out to him in faith. And so I ask you this morning, beloved, are you struggling? Because I will say the Lord knows that I have struggled. I, I, I am not beyond the, the exemption here that there are struggles that we, that we endure when that we are tired and we are exhausted and we want to throw our hands up. So are you one this morning that you are struggling and that you are, that you are sinning deliberately and presumptuously? 
And that you have forgotten the greatness of God's salvation in your life. And you begin to see that yourself, that you are giving things in this world more honor than you are of the worship of God. If that is you, if you are struggling, hear me. There is hope for you. Call out to Him. Confess your struggle to Him. Believe upon Him and draw near to Him in faith. Ask Him to help you with more faith. And you hold fast. Do not throw your hands up. But draw in to Him. And also draw into your faith family. Let us help you. Let us walk with you. Meet with your pastors. Meet with your deacons. Meet with Christian brothers and Christian sisters. And begin to pray with them. And begin to work through these things. And building your confidence. And building your faith in Christ. That you may hold fast. The answer is not to lose faith. In the one who gave his life. The answer, beloved, is to give him. Is to ask. And trust and believe. To fall on our knees and beg. There is hope for you this morning. But I would also ask this morning. Do you know someone who's in danger? Do you know someone who's struggling? And let's just go ahead and say not even with COVID. Even before COVID. You know those that. Were here. And they walked away. What does this passage mean for you? Who is here. That you fight for them. That you fight. For them. For they are walking on a very. They are walking on very thin ice. And it is our job to call out to them. And to bring them back. For they do not see the danger that is ahead. And so the most loving thing to do beloved. Is for you and I. Is to go to them. Call out to them, give them the gospel, call them to faith, and then you walk with them in faith. You walk with them in faith. Oh, beloved, today hear the warning. Weigh the risk. And then let us join with the saints of old. That in all of their trials and in all of their difficulties that tempted them to shrink back, they held fast. Let us join in the anthem of Polycarp. That as he stood before his executioner, before he was killed, he said, For I cannot repent from what is better to what is worse. In other words, I cannot turn away from that which is greater to that which is lesser. Or Justin Martyr, who said to his executioner, you can kill us, but you cannot do me any harm. How about we join with John Calvin, who said our faith is really and truly tested only when we are brought into the severe conflicts. And even hell itself seems open to swallow us up. And in the darkness of our miseries, the grace of God shines more brightly. Let us join with Charles Spurgeon. Who said the Christian gains by his losses. He acquires health by his sicknesses. He wins friends through his bereavement. And he becomes a conqueror through his defeats. I bear witness that my worst days have ever have ever have turned out to be my best days. Or maybe we should join the anthem of Christ. That if anyone desires to come after me. Let him deny himself. And let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life 
will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Let's pray.